0: Lord God bless you all, you may be seated want to welcome all of you tonight here at Logos and those online we welcome you, we're continuing our series entering into the unknown as we study the life of Joshua and the people of Israel here in their wilderness journey as God had called them to possess the land and last week we left here in chapter 3, you want to finish chapter 3 then go into chapter 4 today and so we begin at chapter 3 verse 7 and the Lord said unto Joshua this day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses so I will be with you verse 14 and it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over the Jordan the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people And as they that bear the ark were come to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of the harvest, that the water which came down from above stood and rose up upon the heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan, And those that came down towards the Sea of the Plain, even the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant and of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over the Jordan. Praise the name of the Lord. Now we're looking at this particular book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we see a very an amazing story. Now remember, a lot of things that Joshua is experiencing and was about to experience already took place during the wilderness with Moses. And God gave a word of encouragement to Joshua. He said, Look, Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And they've gone through similar experiences as they entered into the promised land and this is one that was very similar, the crossing of the Jordan is similar to what? The crossing of the Red Sea. So the same miracle of God opening up the sea takes place here in Jordan. And so God said, look, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, in every circumstance, And everything will work out just fine. And so as they crossed in to the Jordan, as they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, they heard that there are a lot of giants in the land. They heard it might be difficult. They heard that these nations were strong and powerful. And some of them entered in with fear. Fear of the unknown. We talked a little bit about that. You know God might call you to a place, might call you to a new job, might call you to get married, might call you to go to university, something different. You might be in a time of a transition and God's calling you to cross over from Kadesh Barnea, which is the border of the wilderness into the promised land, into that place of destiny, into your calling. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be any challenges. Because you're in God's will doesn't mean there won't be any difficulties. In fact, because you're in God's will, there might be a lot of difficulties that God wants you to deal with. Situations you go through that you might need, that you're not even aware of, to strengthen you and to equip you for what He's called you to do. No strengthening, no empowerment that comes to you individually comes without some kind of tension. Some kind of anxiety of sorts, some kind of trial, some kind of calamity, some kind of perplexity. All these things come to us for reason, for purpose. The giants you face, they all come to us for purpose. And we discussed last week that nothing just happens, that God orchestrates and leads us and guides us, leads us by His Spirit. And sometimes He leads us through the currents and brings us upon the shoreline. Of places that we might not even want to be but he leads us nonetheless and he directs our steps and in that direction and in that place that God has called you to be in you might face giants and you might face all kinds of difficulties that you've got to go through you can't avoid them because for you to get to your destiny you have to go through some of those things now we may not like it we might not like to deal with the Giants we might not like to deal with the Jordan that's overflowed and we have to cross by it. And we're scratching our heads and we're saying, how are we going to cross by the Jordan? The Jordan is, is, oh, is, is flooded. There's no way we can, I can't swim. Many times God calls you to cross the Jordan and you can't swim. And there's a reason for it. And your faith will be tested. But it all has purpose. And so, there are certain things that God tells Joshua as he told Moses to encourage him as he enters into the promised land. Joshua had to fill the shoes of Moses. Now, how many here would have liked to do that? If God told you, okay, okay, you're now we're going to take the place of Moses. That's a daunting task, let me tell you. And so there were certain things that God had to do to encourage Joshua and the people of Israel. And I am going to share four thoughts with you that God gives to equip them, to prepare them. And the first thing is that they had the performance of what God did in the past to encourage them. They had that kind of assurance. We talked briefly about that. God asks them to remember what I did for you. And so when you're facing the Jordan and you're facing the giants... And let's bring it to our scenario, to where we are today. If God's called you to a new job, God's called you to do something you've never done before, or He's graduated or promoted you to another place in maybe your ministry or where you're working, and it seems very difficult and you don't know what to do and there are all kinds of giants and all kinds of obstacles, He's saying the same thing to you and me. Remember how God brought you through it before. Remember how God was faithful before you think he's just going to abandon you in this journey that we are in and he tells the same thing he says Joshua I want you to remember how I was with you with you with Moses with the people of Israel how I clothed them how I blessed them how I protected them how the very clothes that they had never wore out for forty years. The very sandals they wore never wore out for forty years. That I fed you with manna. I took care of all your needs. I don't want you to forget that, Moses. I don't want you to forget that, Joshua. I don't want you to forget that, my brother and my sister, here in the year 2020, 324, as we enter into a new era, a new time, a new period. You must never forget that as God was with us then, He's with us today. As He was with Daniel in the den, He's with you today in your den. As He was with the three Hebrew boys in the furnace, He's with you in your furnace. This is something you don't forget. You can't forget this. this. You must constantly reflect on this. You must constantly remember what He has done for us then, He will do for us today. And so Joshua says, O Israel, Don't fear, but remember and reflect. Reflect and remember what he has done. And then God instructs Joshua to take the ark and to have the ark about a half mile ahead of them as they march into the promised land, into the territory that God has given them. God told Joshua, I want you to take the ark And I want you to have the the priest carry the ark about a half mile ahead of you so that it's visible as you are walking, you can see it from every angle and that your eyes will be on the ark. I want you to reflect on the ark. I want you to remember what I did. Then number two, I want you to reflect about the significance of this ark. This ark speaks of my presence. So I want you to remember what I did. I want you to focus in on my presence, on, on, on my power and what is in the ark. What is the, the ark uh, resembles God's presence, but it's also what's in the ark that's important because what's in the ark is the manna, is the law, and it's the miracle of, this, of, of the rod that budded almonds when it had no roots. It speaks of God's miraculous power so it speaks of God's spirit what's in the ark is the manna manna was the bread how I sustained you manna is a picture of Jesus he is the bread of life and the law of course, my commandments I don't want you to forget about my commandments so as you cross into the promised land Joshua remember my word, remember how I was with you my word is true, you can depend on what I said As I was with you then, I'll be with you now. I want you to reflect, number two, my second R. I want you to reflect on on who I am, my presence. That I'm with you. Just gaze your eyes upon me. Look to me. My presence. You need to do this. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep focused. Focused on Him. And it's important because the Ark meant so much to Israel the ark meant so much you remember the story how David when he he got the ark back he was so excited And we know that in Second Samuel chapter 5 the ark was taken from Israel by the Philistines because of the sin of the people of Israel the sin of Eli's sons that were committing atrocities the ark was taken and it brought devastation to the people of Israel but the Philistines who took the ark, they brought it back to Ashtoth and to, to Gath. And, and, and what happened is that, is that when they took the ark, terrible things took place to the Philistines. God afflicted them with boils. If you remember the story that they had the ark inside a cave where the god of Dagon, their god, which was a fish god of the Philistines, they were a sea people and they worshiped fish gods, the fish. And Dagon was a fish god. And the story in the Bible tells us that, that one morning as the priest went, they saw that the head of the fish god was, was on the floor, on the ground, beside the ark. A lot of pain and agony took place in the lives of the Philistines. And they decided, look, we don't want this ark. It's a curse to us. Let's give it back to Israel. And so they took a cart. And they put the ark on the cart. Do you remember the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6? And they brought it back to David. And David was so happy. He's rejoicing. The ark is back. The presence of God is back. And so now he wants to bring it back to, to Judah into Jerusalem. And he's all excited. And we all know the story, don't we? He keeps the ark that the Philistines gave him. And they're coming back. And they're rejoicing and all of a sudden the ark hit some kind of stone or some kind of surface that was hardened and it shook the cart. And Uzzah the priest saw the ark was actually falling and he had good intentions to protect the ark as any one of us would. And he did protect it but the unconscionable happened. God smote him and killed him. It didn't make sense to David. He couldn't understand it. You know, there are times as we are entering into the unknown, confusing times will take place. You might be going through your own personal spiritual crisis. David didn't understand God. How can... Couldn't understand what God was doing. As we enter into the unknown, you might not understand what God is doing. Because God doesn't always spell it out. He doesn't always give you the details of what he's doing. And you have to trust him. Depend upon him. In this journey that we are on. And so David's all confused and didn't understand how God can do this. And he said it to Eden. And he left it there for three months. In his home and... God was blessing him and he couldn't understand how, what is going on? I don't understand what God is doing. Have you ever said that? And then David did something. You see, whenever we're going through times of perplexity and things that we don't understand, things that don't seem to make sense and you've done all you can do, then all of a sudden... a curveball is thrown or something happens to you that 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 sets you off that course and and it confuses you and you, you're struggling well what's going on and you're asking questions well that's usually a time you need to see god and that's what David did and he went back to the word and he was reading and he learned something that he forgot you see we have a tendency to forget, don't we and he was so excited that he became impetuous and impulsive and he said, I'm just gonna take it. He didn't realize there is a way to carry the Ark. You don't take God's presence and put it on a Gentile heathen cart and bring it to Jerusalem. That cart doesn't belong to God. What are you putting The Ark of the Covenant, the holiest, on a Philistinian cart? David, is that how you're supposed to do it? Are you supposed to do God's will, man's way? How many people do God's will, man's way? Hmm? David did a research, and he discovered, wait a minute, the Ark has got holes on the side of it for a reason. He read, we read in Chronicles, that David studied the Word. Always go back to the Word, my friends don't ever stray from the Word of God whenever you're going through times of perplexity and confusion as you enter into the unknown into that time of transition and you're not sure and and you don't understand go to the... what what is the Word of God saying? don't go to some prophet don't go to some... yeah sure the pastor can help you and the board member can help you and that brother can help you but always go to the Word of God let that be your source not the pastor, not Google <clears throat> we go to Google more than we do God most of the time. Yeah, you know? go to what the Word of God says. And David discovered, or rediscovered, he forgot because he knew this: that those holes on the side of the ark had reasons. There's purpose. They were put certain poles inside the holes of the ark, and that the priests were to carry it upon their shoulders and carry that ark into every. Direction and destination that you're supposed to go and when David understood that he repented and he said "Oh, done wrong And then he instructed the priest to do that and the blessings came back. You see God will not be marked You can't you can't change God's word to accommodate your generation or what you want How many people are twisting the truth today twisting what is right to accommodate what their their desires are what they want? I I heard a wonderful quote and I'm going to be quoting this for the next little walk because it's so powerful we went to a conference uh, a few days ago and uh, Charles Spurgeon once said how we need discernment discernment I, I don't believe I believe discernment is needed more today I'm telling you than, than ever before the spirit of discernment is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit First Corinthians chapter 12 you can read it, discern... what is the... Discernment is not necessarily knowing the difference between right or wrong. You can discern whether it's right, uh, or whether it's wrong. That, that, that is discernment, but... Spurgeon said, discernment is also knowing the difference of being right, or almost right. You see, a lot of these false cults and false teachers, they seem to be right, and it might look like this, right? but they're almost right, they're not right they twist and it makes it sound good and people fall by the wayside and they're seduced by their teaching because they don't know the difference between right and almost right look, sugar looks like salt from a distance my friends hmm? discernment to know the difference. David Finally understood Brought the ark and God blessed him Because he followed what the word of God says and God will not change his word for this generation or any other generation We must follow what God says and in verse 10 and 11 of our text in chapter 3 notice and Joshua said hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he Without fail, will drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites, the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, all the earth, passes over before you unto the Jordan. It says, if you want to know the living God, he is before you, O Israel. Just look to him. Keep your eyes on him, as I said. His eyes must, all of us must be full. And that principle will never change. We must keep our eyes on the cross. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Not prophet so-and-so. Not brothers on Jesus. Our spiritual ark, if you will. Today, Jesus represents the very presence of God. We see this in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible tells us, I'm going to read it here. Colossians 1, we'll look at verse 15. Who is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him, by Jesus, were all things created. And are in heaven, that are on earth. And that... Are visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 18. In all things he might have preeminence. Preeminence. This is the mystery. Verse 26 which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is who we focus in. The living God, the great I am. The presence of God rests in him. And we are at a set, our eyes on him Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says that we are to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth we set our affections we keep our eyes on the cross we keep our eyes on Jesus so what God told Joshua to do and instruct the Israelites we are instructed to do the same thing today as we enter into the unknown As we live our lives, as we journey through this world, we're just passing through. Just like the Israelites were passed through the wilderness, we're just passing through this wilderness in which we live in. This is not our home. We're just passing through. The Bible tells us in verse 4, now watch this now. It gets really interesting. Back to our text. Look what it says. It says in verse 4, and yet there shall be a space between you and it, two thousand cubits by measure come near unto it that ye may know the way which ye must go for ye have not passed by there herefore and Joshua said unto the people sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great uh, wonders among you as I mentioned this is about a half a mile you are to let the priest carry the ark about a half a mile away And God knows the distance and the reason for about a half a mile. And that is that all of Israel. Remember there was, listen, there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. You can just imagine what that means. And so God gives a certain distance where everybody would be able to see So they can focus on God and keep their eyes on Him. It was a visual view. Now, did Jesus say the same thing? Of course He did. Does anybody know what Jesus said about this? It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first. Just put Him first. Keep your eyes on Him. And all these things will be given to you, will seek first. And so Jesus tells us the same thing. This is a principle that we see throughout scripture. Our eyes must be focused on God, not man, not circumstances. We have a story in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. King Jehoshaphat found out that the enemy was coming against him. And he was filled with fear. And he called the fast and he brought Judah into fasting that God would protect them. Because they were vastly outnumbered. And in second chronicles, we see a tremendous element. We see that Joshua, I uh, sorry, that Jehoshaphat not only proclaimed the fast, but he did something that we also need to do in verse number. Twelve, and he says this: "O our God, wilt thou not judge them?" This is Joshua spe- uh, Jehoshaphat speaking. For we have no might against the great company that cometh against us; neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee, Lord. We haven't gone this before. We haven't dealt with this enemy before, and we don't know what to do. Can I bring it home? We're entering into this promised land. We're entering into this transition. We're entering into the unknown. And we don't know what to do. But our eyes. But our eyes. I may not know what to do, but I'm going to keep seeking God. I may not know what to do, but my eyes are focused on Him. I may not know what to do, but my eyes are geared and look upon it. Because if I don't, my eyes are going to be focused upon my circumstances. And if my eyes focus on my circumstances and my enemies, and all the obstacles and the impediments and the giants, then I'm going to get off track. I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall. Psalm 57.7, David says something very similar. And in Psalm 57.7 My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give grace. My... In other words, what this means is that it, my, my heart is fixed on you. I'm keeping my eyes on you. My heart is devoted to you. I'm going to look to you. It's fixed. My eyes are fixed. My eyes are set on seeking you on following you Joshua saying you are to reflect on the past remember my goodness remember and reflect what I did focus on the ark make a resolution to keep your eyes on God my third R make that resolution not only to remember not only to reflect but make a resolution. Put, make it part of your life. Let it be part of your lifestyle. Not like these fad diets that people go on. I had somebody talk to me. Oh, I'm on this new diet. I go, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How long have you been on it? Oh, just two days. Yeah. He's going to come back to me in a couple of weeks. Oh, oh, oh. Fads. People follow them for a few days and they don't stick to it how many people join the gym and they never go? you you one of them? <laughs> see I, I have a, so, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm all excited, I'm gonna join the gym and I get all excited, they jo- join the gym, they spend their 40-50 dollars a month and they go once a month, and if that and you ask them, what's wrong? well, you know, I was busy with this and I had... no, 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 no... you got no discipline you're not focused your eyes are not there your eyes are everywhere else. We're not talking about fads here. Oh yeah, I'm going to try this. You, 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 you see somebody, Whenever I hear somebody say to me, yeah, I'm going to try it. No. It's not going to work. You're going to just try it. Listen, friends. You don't just haphazardly try things. You won't succeed. Unless you're focused. And your eyes are geared toward And you allow discipline to rise up. And, and, and make a commitment. You're not going to endure. You won't last because there's too many obstacles and our nature, by, our nature is basically lazy. We have a, by nature, we're lazy. We're not very disciplined by nature. And so we give up very easily, most people. If you don't believe me, maybe you can look inside your own heart. If I can be so, so gently bold. We're great starters, but we're not good finishers. You see, this is what Joshua is letting the people. You got to keep your eyes on this ark. Be focused. And we have the same teaching today. Make that resolution. Be focused. I'm going to fuck. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No. Well, why? What do you mean, no turning? You're focused. I can't turn. I'm focused. What did Jesus say? He, a man that puts his hands to the plow. Can someone finish the scripture for me? If he looks back, is not fit for the kingdom. Jesus you can't look back. If you're looking back, your eyes are off the Lord. You're not fit. You'll stumble. Once our eyes are off the Lord, now, now, friends, yeah, there are times we make mistakes. There are times we lose focus. That happens to all of us. This is not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, yes, there might be a time, there might be weakness that comes. There might be a time, a, se- a small season hopefully, where, but, but you must rise from that. Don't allow your circumstances to keep you down. Get up. Every athlete that trains for a marathon or for any sport, they don't always feel like training. They might, they might, you know, go through. They might get injured for a period of time and they can't train for. But, but they don't make excuses. They get back up eventually. How many ever heard of Usain Bolt? Usain Bolt, the fastest runner of all time, runs for Jamaica. He ran. He he won the Olympics. One of the greatest, in fact, probably the greatest runner of all times. You know what he said? It was being reported. He says. He said that discipline is the key. He said, you know, it's interesting. He said, I spent four years of my life, each and every day, training, sweating, sacrificing, for nine seconds. Just for nine seconds. Four years of self-denial and for nine seconds four years later. Think about it. Nobody said the Christian life is easy. Nobody said it's going to be a tiptoeing through the tulip experience and ha ha he he's and there's preachers that preach that. They're all wrong. Christianity is not just a bunch of, you know, flowers and bouquets and oh, and and euphoria No my friends, it's not It's a life of self-denial It's a life of discipline Jesus, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Where where do we get this teaching that it's just, oh, that God is like some kind of cosmic, you know, uh, uh, Santa Claus always coming to rescue and to bless and to make us feel good and make us happy. Listen, listen, God's not concerned about your happiness. Can I be honest with you? He's more concerned about your holiness. Can I be blunt? We're in a journey. And we're going to face giants and we're going to face pitfalls. And we need to be focused. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. You don't want to miss. Anyway, I'll keep that. I'll keep that. I'll keep that inside. I'll, I'll tell you later. This is what Joshua is saying. God understood that. And that's why he gave this prescription. This direction. And they had to make a resolution that this is what they need to do. Then... Number four, not only to remember, not only to reflect, not only to make a resolution, but my fourth are, you need to remove something from your life. Okay, so you're resolving to focus on God, but, but as you're doing that, there's something you need to do. Faith without works is... Can I say that again? Faith without works is... Okay, verse number five. Verse number five of chapter three back to our text look what it says and Joshua said unto the people sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you what? God says clean up your act sanctify yourself you got to do something because tomorrow my power is going to be seen prepare yourself friends can I just park here for a minute how, many, how do you prepare yourselves for church? How do you prepare yourselves to come into God's house? Just, just, I'm not gonna, it's a rhetorical, I'm not asking you, oh, just think about it. I know people, you know, I'll come to church and they're out partying until two in the morning and they, 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 want, they come to church and they expect God to bless them. No, seriously, I, I'm not joking you. People, they go out late, they stay, they go out, they keep going out all nights, and they come home late, and, you know, Saturday, night, it's Saturday night, you know, they're fun, and and you see them stumbling into church, you know, and they say, who are you fooling? Like, what what is this? How are you preparing yourself then to come into the presence of God? We need to ask ourselves this. Do you know that people died? Do you know that... Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when time of the communion, you've heard me preach this, you've heard other preachers preach this, in the time of a communion service, we are to examine ourselves, doesn't the Bible say that? And what does Paul say? For some of what? Some have fallen asleep, which means to die, because they took the Lord's supper unworthily. In other words, they disregarded, they just, no reverence. Now, I'm not saying that happens all the time. Imagine if God did that every time. But it happened in this case, that they came to the Lord's house, did the Lord's Supper, and they were out doing all kinds of of obscenities, and they took the Lord's Supper, and God says, you're not going to mock me. How many remember Ananias and Sapphira? What happened to them? They lied to God, they mocked God, they stole, and they didn't want to confess. And what happened to them? Listen friends, I'm not saying God does this all the time. But God will not be mocked. So God says, I want you to remove. I want you to sanctify yourself. Or to cleanse yourself. My power is going to be released. My blessing is going to be released. I want you to be ready. In other words. Preparation. Before participation. There's a two piece for you. Preparation. Prepare yourselves. Remove. What does the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 12? To run the race. Look what it says. Wherefore seeing also the past about so great a cloud of witness, let us what? Let us what? Let us what? Lay aside every weight and sin which does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race. This is what God is saying. Sanctify. Listen, friends. Look. Look, We're using a lot of athletic examples, but I, I, I normally do because, you know, I do love sports. And Paul, by the way, Paul must have been some kind of athlete because he always talks about sports as illustrations. Now, does anybody run here or does anybody play sports on a regular basis? Is there anybody or maybe used to? Boy, I've got a tough crowd here. I, uh, you used to play sports? What would you do? Track. track. Oh, I love track. So, how did you, what did you do? What, do, what, what, what race did you run? The 100 meters? Wow. Okay. And the relay? 400 meter relay? for um, 4 by 1. So, how did you train for that? Um, school, after school. Um, different um, different um, techniques, or techniques um, we call Okay. So, you, right. So, let me ask you did you ever run with weights on your legs? Like the race, the actual waist has come and you got all kinds of weights. Would you ever do that? No. Why? some of us are trying to run this race and you got weights on you you can't run properly the picture of weights is some kind of sin some kind of impediment some kind of obstacle something you're doing that's impeding you to run now now i don't run like i used to but i used to run a lot and you know i i i, I my daughters did track. I would like to have done track. I have watched a lot of track with my dad, but I played hockey a lot. And I played baseball, I played basketball, I played all kinds of sports. And training was a big part of the sport. You can't play sports on a level, high level without training. And if you're not in shape physically, you're not going to make it. You can't, if you can't run because you're overweight or because you've got some kind of physical handicap... That, 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 that's not your fault, if You got a handicap, that, that's a different story but it, you cannot, my coach when I played hockey if I was, if you were five pounds overweight you couldn't play, get in shape I had a very strict coach but I thank him because he taught me something, he taught us to be disciplined and you know five pounds doesn't seem much overweight but when you're running a race and you gotta go a long distance Five pounds is a lot. Have you ever seen marathon runners? Have you ever seen how they're built? How is a marathon runner built? He's he's skinny like a, like a toothpick. You ever see them? They got no fat. They're like little out there. And some of them are short. How do you have the. Because if they were heavy, they wouldn't last. Have you ever seen the difference between a marathon runner and a hundred yard sprinter? Is there a difference? Usain Bolt, who said. You ever see we've seen both how he's built? He's muscular You ever see these, these men running the 100 You know 100 meters Aren't they more muscular? Why are they more muscular? It's a different race 100 meters is meant for speed So I need more muscles to flex so I can More power, I need those muscles but when Paul speaks about the race, when the Bible speaks, about, it's not talking about a hundred meters. It's talking about a long distance. We're in a long distance race. We're in a marathon, brothers and sisters. And you can't run a marathon if you're overweight spiritually. Now, don't get, send me letters, please. Don't email me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to. I'm only making a point. Okay. I'm making a point spiritually. Okay. So don't get mad. Some of us, you know, I I had somebody get mad at me once. Seriously, they got really upset with me. Are you trying to make fun of me? I said, no. This happened. I'm not kidding you. I'm making a point. And there are too many Christians trying to run the race and they're eating lasagna at 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. Let's go. have a pizza at 10 o'clock at night. What, What are you doing? I'm talking spiritually, okay? Compromise here, a bit of compromise there can't run an athlete's very disciplined he won't eat at a certain time he'll he'll go to bed at a certain time it, it's consu- this is what we're talking about so when someone tells you that christian listen you want to be a christian it's going to cost you everything okay i'm sorry i know this isn't popular teaching i know we love to hear i just claim this and god will bless you that's false these are half truths they're almost right you follow what i'm saying but they're not right Yes, God will bless you and God will do all kinds of good things for you. But we forget the other side of the coin. If you're going to follow him, you've got to deny yourself. These type of preachers, they won't talk about that. They'll just tell you about all the blessings. Sanctify yourself! For tomorrow, got to remove certain things in your life. Another, we're in a race. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Second Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Second Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Look what it says. Having therefore these promi- promises, wait a minute. If I got a promise, and I don't have to do anything about the promise, do I? Having therefore these promises, dearly but be- What? So, wait a minute. You have a preacher tell you, one, one man says, Well, I got the promise, I don't have to do anything about it. False. False. God gives us a promise, yes. But notice what it says. Dearly beloved, let us what? Cleanse ourselves from what? Filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, for affecting holiness and the fear of God. Let us cleanse... There's something that you need to do. You need to discipline yourself. You need to say no. Stop saying yes all the time. Sometimes God wants us to say, no, uh uh, I'm not going to eat that, I'm not going to touch that, I'm not going to do that. We let our flesh control our lives, we let our emotions control our lives, our desires to control our lives. eating whatever we want doing whatever we want that's the flesh there needs to be some kind of discipline where we say no i'm not i'm going to i'm going to be careful i'm going to i'm going to obey god i'm going to sanctify for tomorrow god will do great wonders boy i don't hear that much today but friends you've heard me say this you can't be the bride of Jesus Christ our lord and our savior you can't be the bride of Christ and be the girlfriend of satan at the same time you can't have one foot in Christ and one foot in the world it doesn't work we've tried it doesn't work it doesn't work Either we're going to follow Jesus with all of our hearts or not follow. Did not Elijah say that in 1 Kings 18? How long will you be between two opinions? You're going to serve Baal? Then serve him. Don't mock God by having one foot in the church and another foot in the world. Don't mock God by serving other idols and attempting to serve God at the same time. Sanctify yourself. Be focused. Don't forget. Reflect. Remember my goodness. Verse 8 and verse 17. With their feet. They were to cross over. The priest. The waters. And they were going to split like the Red Sea. But the Bible tells us that the waters were already flooded by swelling and so God brings them sanctified tomorrow and they bring them to the Jordan and the Jordan is overflowing with flooding waters and you know uh, when you can't swim and you see that much water you can get scared because God didn't tell them what to do till he got it till later so so, so get the picture God says I'm going to be with you great wonders miracles They brought themselves, now, here they are, they crossed into Jordan, over Jordan, uh, into the promised land, and now the Jordan is there, and they were supposed to cross over the Jordan, like they were supposed to cross the Red Sea. But the waters are flooded, and you can't swim. What what would you think? You see, friends, in your journey with God, and as we enter into this unknown and as God is leading us and as we've said God can lead you but you're not clear and you don't have the directions and you see flooded waters and you can't swim that can cause a lot of anxiety and God said to Joshua you tell the priest don't worry about it you just obey my word as I was with Moses you just tell the priest to take the, and you just tell them to walk through it, you find 12 stones. You put the stones in the water. The 12 stones represent the 12 tribes. And you just begin to trust me. And as they took that first step of faith, the water slowly started to sp- depart. You see, friends, God will perform the miracle. But you see, many times He does it as you step out in faith. Many times things will take place as you obey His word. But you see, we want to do the other way. We want to see God do it first before we step out. It doesn't work that way. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be... Ha- you've got to trust and, and when you're facing the Jordan and the waters are flooding and you can't swim, you've got no lifeboat, you've got no life... nothing. There's no lifeguard there to rescue you. You've got to trust God. Take that step of faith. Why do you think the Bible says to walk by faith and not by sight? Because there's going to be a time in your life where it's going to take a lot of faith for you to do what you're supposed to do because everything around you is telling you it's not going to work or that doesn't make sense or there's too many giants in the land. But God was teaching them to trust Him. God was teaching them through these difficult moments, through these hard and situations that... That do not make sense. Places that they're supposed to go to. Nations they're supposed to fight where there's no way they can overcome. No way they can win. And God is saying, You trust me, and and I'm going to make a way for you. You can do it. Through God's power so God gave him the promise and God vindicated them that's why Isaiah said when thou goest through the waters Isaiah 43 they will not overflow you I believe in many scholars that when Isaiah said that they had Joshua in mind we serve a mighty God my brothers and my sisters but he's looking to you Looking to me to trust Him when we can't trace Him. To trust Him and believe Him. And so what, what do we learn? Reflect on the past. What God did then, He can do today. Remember the ark. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's His presence. And what did He say? He'll never leave you nor abandon you. He said in uh, Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. Just keep your eyes on me. I will take you by the hand. And I will lead you to the promised land. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. That's what he told Joshua. My presence will take you Keep your eyes on me. Make a resolution. Remove those things that hinder you. Sanctify yourself. Stop playing games with God. Repent of certain things. Cleanse certain things. Wash certain things. Listen friends. Ships don't sink because of the water that's around them. No, 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 no. Ships sink only because of the water that gets in that's why people sink that's why some Christians that you know have sunk because they've allowed the water a picture of the world to get in them and it doesn't have to be a big gash doesn't have to be a huge gash on the side of the ship it can just be a little cut a little wedge something that's cracked, a small crack And the water gets in little by little. Well, you may not see a big difference the first day or the first even week. But I guarantee you, as long as the ship's floating on the water and there's a crack, the water will eventually get in. Be sure your sin will find you out. Never says when, but it will come. Make sure the cracks are dealt with. Sanctify yourself, God says, for tomorrow my blessings will be. Proverbs tells us to guard your heart for out of the heart comes the issues of life. One of our main responsibilities, brothers and sisters, is to keep the toxins out of our lives. It's part of the sanctifying process. These toxins. Yeah, those... Roots from springing up, from disappointments and hurts and jealousy, certain things, bitterness. You can't stop it from coming, you'll have all kinds of situations in your life that you have to deal with. But the question is, are you going to let it take root in your life and go down into your heart and contaminate you? With the toxins of that situation, now it will produce jealousy or envy or strife. This is also, I believe, what God is saying. So sanctifying yourself is not only just something physical that you have to remove, but it could be things that the heart have to deal with. Invisible things. Things that can fester in your soul like bitterness and unforgiveness. Jealousy. Keep your eyes on the ark. Set your affections on things above. I want to close chapter 3 as we enter into chapter 4 by giving you an illustration. The eagle is the most majestic bird of all. It has the capacity to fly higher than any other bird. It has very few enemies, by the way. But it has one. The crow. The crow is the only bird that will actually torment the eagle by going on its neck and pecking its neck and biting it. Just... It's just... It's a, you know how intelligent the crow is? Just because the crow wants to bother the eagle. Maybe the crow is trying to show scientists haven't been able to discover what, that, that, you know what? You're, you're not so tough. I, 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 can, I, can, I can deal with you. We're not sure. But the, what the crow does, it pecks the back of its neck bites it and it's hard for the eagle to get rid of this crow because it's also got talons and it embeds its talons in its feathers and you can't shake off this crow and so what does the eagle do? it it can't get him off it's on his back you know what what the eagle does? it starts to fly and it goes higher, and higher, and higher. Remember, it's the bird that can fly as high as any... In fact, they've seen eagles as high as Mount Everest. 40,000 feet in the air. The eagle's the only bird that flies above the storms. So as it flies higher and the air gets thinner... The crow can't breathe and the crow falls off. So, you don't spend your time dealing with the crows of life, debating and dialoguing and arguing and hitting people in the head with your Bibles and getting, hey, how dare you? And going all through all that and, and debating and pontificating and all kinds of stuff. Just get a little higher. Just fly a little higher. Set your affections on things above. And you'll see how God will deal with those things. They will fall off one by one. One. You can't fight the devil and the energy of the flesh. Go a little higher. Keep your eyes on things above, Paul says, Colossians 3. And so remember, reflect. Reflect. Resolve and remove. And they had this in mind as we enter into chapter 4. So we want to look at chapter 4. We'll look at the first few verses of our text. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of the men. And command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. Ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the logging place, where ye shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe of, of of a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take you up, every man of you, a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And this may be a sign, or a mark, among you, that when, watch us now, your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what means ye by these stones? Then you will answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, When they passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan. The waters were cut off. And those stones shall be the memorial. There's the key word. Unto the children of Israel. A memorial. Forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. And they took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan. And as the Lord spake unto Joshua. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest which bare the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. For the priest which bare the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the God commanded Joshua to speak unto my people according to all that Moses commanded commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people Were clean passed over, the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. Verse 14 And on that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him, and they feared Moses all the days of his life and the Lord spake unto Joshua saying command the priest that they bear the ark of the testimony that they come out of the Jordan Joshua therefore commanded the priest saying come ye out of the Jordan and it came to pass when the priests bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord where they came out of the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up the dry land and the water Jordan returned unto its place and flowed over its banks as it did before and the people came up out of the Jordan on the tent Day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which the Lord uh, took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, Where your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, they would ask, What means these stones? Then ye will let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan unto dry land. For the Lord your God dried the waters of Jordan before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know At the hand of the Lord that is a mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever, wow what a story so many life lessons so many nuggets of truth here we see the Lord was glorified the crossing of the Jordan as he was when they crossed the Red Sea all these miracles were a memorial of the glory of God and in verse 24 something is powerful it says that all the people of the world will know about the hand of the Lord His might and His power friends, I just want to park the car here for two seconds do you know this is the mandate and responsibility for the church why do you think the church exists we are called the salt of the earth correct? and what are we called to do? We are called to do what God just told Joshua. To go into all the world. That the world might know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We see the gospel right here. The message. The purpose of the church. Is not to meet people's needs, but to preach the gospel to the world. We meet people's needs, yes. We bless, we encourage one another, yes. But the mandate of the church is to preach the gospel. To win souls. This news of the crossing spread like wildfire. God's miracles spread like wildfire. Do you remember in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab found out and heard about the miracles of God, and she repented of her sins. She heard about what God had done. And what God was doing, He was confirming His word. He confirmed His word by the miracles. Just like in the New Testament, did not Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16, These signs shall follow them who believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, I shall not harm them. So we see certain signs to confirm the authenticity of God's word. God always vindicated. God always performed miracles or did signs to confirm his word. Not for you to be seen, but for his glory. That his glory be seen. And so we see this happening in the Old Testament. We see this happening in the New Testament. And so, once they, the Israelites crossed over, God wanted them... To make a memorial, wanted them to do something, to build some kind of altar that represented something. And they found stones, 12 stones, representing 12 tribes. And these stones were significant. And God told them to make a memorial for my glory. It's very similar with Noah. Do you remember when God gave Noah a rainbow? He showed a rainbow and this was a memorial that he would not destroy the earth ever again. We see similarities about memorials. And now inside the ark we had memorials as well. God is big on memorials. God doesn't want us to forget. Again, we see the importance of remembering. Remembering is so important to God. that's a recurring theme throughout scripture. Don't forget what God has done. That's what a memorial is. Why, why was there manna in the ark? To remember that God fed them in the wilderness. with manna. Why was there the laws, the commandments? So they won't forget that when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, don't forget what price there is. What happened? What you went through? And then Aaron's rod that budded, don't forget my miraculous power, how I miraculously sustained you through the wilderness. When you wanted to drink waters and they were too salty, how I sweetened the waters, how I provided uh, manna for you, how I blessed you, protected you from the sun and the heat and the rain, and, and not the rain so much, but I kept shade to, to bless you and to protect you. I, I, I sustained your clothes and I provided for you physically. Emotionally and spiritually. I did all of that for you. Don't forget. Remember the ark. All were memorials of what God had done. And Jesus taught this very same principle on several occasions. What do you think Water baptism? We had a Water baptism. Wasn't that a great service last Sunday? Powerful. Just powerful. And you know there was a lot of new faces. You know why there was a lot of new faces? Because people invited people. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I wonder what's happened to that. Yeah, I, I, You know, I wonder what's happened to soul winning today. We don't see much of that as much. People aren't winning people to Christ as much anymore. Have you noticed that? Is that my imagination? I don't think it's my imagination because, uh, uh, you know, being a pastor, I get to see certain things and I get to know certain things, right? We need to ask ourselves, When was the last time you led someone to Christ? This is not to condemn anyone, it's just a rhetorical question. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? Leading someone to Christ is the greatest experience outside of your relationship with Christ. Did you know that? There's no greater experience. It's the only expression where we see angels rejoicing is when one person comes to Christ. They rejoice. That's how powerful it is and what it means to heaven. One soul. My prayer is that God would renew our hearts, give us a passion for the lost once again. Passion to win people to Christ. So important. but the problem is that we have a tendency of forgetting the reason why we need to do this is because of this tendency we forget so easily in Exodus chapter 13 I just want to go back to Exodus just for a moment Exodus chapter 13 we see something very powerful a very, another similar story Remember, a lot of them resemble what Joshua going through is what Moses went through with the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 13, now watch this. God says something to Moses that he says to Joshua that is extremely important. Verses 1 to 14. And the Lord spake to Moses saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whosoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And Moses said unto the people, What? Remember this day, this day which ye came out of Egypt, out of the house of the bondage, for by strength of thy hand and the Lord brought you out from this place that ye shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out of the month of Abid. And he goes on to explain what happened. And you're not to forget what I did. Verse 17, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go to God, led them not out by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near for God to say, let pre-adventure the people repent, that they will see and that they will return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went, the rest out of the land of Egypt, and Moses took the bones of Joshua with them. Why? For he had straightly sworn of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye will carry up my bones wherever you want. And I can go on to read, but here's my point. God didn't want them to forget what they experienced. They even carried the bones of Joshua, so they won't forget what Joshua did. It's always God doing something, so they won't forget all the miracles, so they won't forget. Have you forgotten what God has done in your life? Many of us have. We forget. You don't want to miss my daily devotions. Uh, We're going to be talking, uh, we're in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be talking about the churches. Part of my, I'm doing ten chapters in Revelation, the first ten. But the first two and three, it talks about the churches. That's not my intent, but it's part of the ten chapters. And you'll be amazed at all the things that took place, the sins, because they left their first love or they forgot of the sanctity of God and they did their own thing and they entertained other things because they neglected the Word of God. To neglect means to forget. Friends, it always boils down to that. God made it very clear throughout the scripture. I want you to remember just some statistics did from Barna. Interesting about forgetting. Forgetting 73% of the people that were interviewed or, uh, about uh, this theme. They interviewed 5,000 people. 73% forget names. I'm part of that. Uh, 60% forget where someone lives. 60% of you will, will forget where some people live, or... Uh, 57% forget telephone numbers. Now, my wife is not part of that. She remembers where people live. She doesn't forget names. See, this survey was done without her in mind. She's one of the few that has a memory for everything, but... But that's it's amazing, because I fall on every category here. Forget... what someone said, Oh, here's a big one. 44% of us forget. So, when I preach a message, or say something, 44% of you will forget what I said. In some cases, 80% of you. (laughs) Just, Just having fun. Just a bit of fun. 43%, and I really fall on this one, forget faces. You'll forget a face. That's something I don't forget. I don't forget faces. But 43% of you will forget faces. You see, I I shared these statistics with you to to, to have you understand what our tendencies are like. We are forgetful people. We forget. We need to constantly be reminded. And that's why I, I try to preach in a way, and sometimes I get repetitive. And sometimes I might say things over and over again. And I'm sure those that have been here at Logos for a few years will know that that's true. But there's a reason to my madness. I'm being repetitive because I want it to sink in, I want it to go deep inside of you, inside of myself. Why do you think God says we are to meditate on God's Word? What does it mean to meditate? It means to muse over and over and over again like a cow chews the cud. You ever see a cow, how it chews, it just keeps chewing for hours and now it just keeps chewing. This is what it means to, to it means to ruminate. It means to, to chew it over and over, to dissect it, to digest it. And this is, this is... What helps us as we meditate, it would help us not to forget. As we muse over his word, we allow the word to take root in our hearts. People ask me, well, Pastor, sometimes you quote scripture. How do you, you know, of course, I'm not taking any credit for that. I'm only explaining that the reason why I'm able to do that is because when I was in Bible college, I would study uh, maybe 80 hours just for a 5% exam. And I would take the scriptures and I would study it, and I would read them over and over and over and over again till it got deep into my spirit. It's not because I have a good memory. I've got a terrible memory. "Oh, pastor, you must have a good memory. you quote. The... "No, I don't I've got a terrible memory. but if I'm reading something over and over and over, where it sinks into my spirit, then it's going to come out. It's all in the meditating of God's Word. Well, this is what God is saying. As you reflect on God, and you remember His Word, you're meditating on His Word, you're doing what He's asking you to do. Very important. In fact, in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, the two things God asked them to do, they pitched at Gilgal, They're going there just before they go to their first major attack which is in Jericho. Before they went to deal with Jericho, their first obstacle, their first main obstacle, the giants of Jericho, the walls of Jericho, God told them to do two things before. Remember to sanctify, we talked about sanctifying, and this is how in Joshua 5 we discover two things. I want you to remember the Passover. And then, I want you to circumcise the males. They weren't circumcised. Part of my covenant. In other words, God wanted them to maintain the covenant and to remember what he did. So the two things God tells them to do before they go into Jericho: I want you to remember my covenant and I want you to sanctify yourself by doing the circumcision. don't forget now I got maybe just three more minutes four minutes five minutes ten minutes I uh, but I'm gonna close just momentarily but let me just say something about one caution can I can I give you some caution just Just one thing I'm a little bit concerned about. When you're making memorials, that's wonderful. We need to do that. There's one problem. Sometimes you can take memorials too far, and make an idol out of them. Do you remember when they complained, the Israelites in Numbers 21, concerning the water, that it was... something was wrong with the water, complaining about the food, complaining about the water, complained about this. And what did God send them? Snakes and serpents. And what was the antidote for the healing? They made a cross of a brazen serpent. Correct? And told Moses to lift it up. This was a picture of Jesus. And they would gaze upon the serpent. They would be healed. Now, can I ask you a question? That's beautiful, isn't it? But can I ask you a question? What happened to that brazen altar? Ah, they ended up worshiping it. So it was a memorial. Don't forget what God did, but they took it too far and they began to worship it. Second Kings. We see this, and we're going we're to we're stop here because I got much more to. But I, I'm going to stop here. But in Second Kings chapter 18 verse 4, the serpent, the Bible says, became a snare. This was during the time of Hezekiah. He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and break the pieces. The brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did not burn incense too. And he was called Nehustan. Keep going. And he, he trusted the Lord of God Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah or long before him. They clave to the Lord, departed not from following, but kept His commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And so what they did, as we keep reading, is that they ended up worshipping this serpent, and it became a snare. After 600 years, it became an idol. And they worshipped the brazen altar. And so Hezekiah had to destroy it. What about In Deuteronomy 34, Moses, why did God remove Moses, couldn't find his bones? Does anybody know why? The Bible tells us, I won't take time to read it. Deuteronomy 34, why did God remove Moses and his bones? Why? Because they were going to worship him, his bones. People like to worship things. You know, we're all worshipers everybody worships in this world we all have idols people worship people, people worship things idols We're, we've been created to worship and they would worship Moses' as bones and I think that's kind of strange, well I can really understand that, being Greek uh, I come from a Greek Orthodox religion background, and I can tell you, uh, my my brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law. Uh, I say ex because my sister passed away, and uh, so she, her husband. That's why ex brother-in-law. Anyway, um, he was from the Isle of Samos in Greece, and what they would do is they would worship once a year a relic the arm that was mummified from saint denis they would parade down the streets of samos with this arm that's been mummified and they're kissing it and they're waving it and people are oh, they're flocking to worship this arm from saint denis so when the Bible says God did this so that they wouldn't worship Moses' bones, trust me, my brothers and sisters, it would have happened. And so here's my final thought. If we are created to worship, then why don't we just worship the Lord with all our hearts, our mind and our soul? Because I tell you, you'll be far better off because you're going to worship something. People will worship something. There are idols everywhere that we worship and sometimes we worship idols and we're not even aware of it. That's why God said, as I'm taking you into the promised land, as I'm leading you by your spirit, as I'm taking you through this world, as you're passing through this wilderness, remember these four things, my friend. As you enter into the unknown, remember, Remember His Word. Remember what He's done for you when you get discouraged and depressed. Because you will. Well, they won't tell you that on TV. They won't tell you that it gets difficult at times. Because they want your support, and they want your finances, so they want to tell you how good you are and how blessed you are. But you'll get down. You'll get discouraged. You'll go through hard times. I promise you that. But here's the word, don't forget what he's done in the past. What he did for Moses, he'll do for you. What he did for every child of God, he'll do for you. Reflect. Reflect on his goodness. Make a resolution to look at the ark. Make a resolution. Keep your eyes on Jesus as as you're going through the wilderness. Keep your eyes, because you'll get off track if you don't. There are a lot of voices that will try to dissuade you and cause you to go astray. Then remove certain things that might be hindering you as you're walking with God. You're in a race. Get rid of that excess. Get rid of those sins that beset us. Get rid of... You can't walk with God and hold... You can't run a race when you're overweight. You can't spiritually. You can't. It's going to hinder you. Israel tried it and it didn't work. Remember, reflect, resolve remove remove those things because I've I have decided to follow Jesus so I better let go of some of those things that bother me and hinder me because no turning back no turning back I have decided to go ahead and follow Jesus The land is before me. I may not fully understand what's happening, but I'm going to trust Him. So I better remember, I better reflect, I I better make a resolution, and I better remove some of those things, because they're going to come against me. I'm in a battle. No turning back. No turning back. Can someone shout amen? Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together.